Today's NBA show is brought to you by Viceland. Late night TV just got darker. Jesus Nice and the Kid Marrow, you may know them as the Bodega Boys, have landed their own late night TV show on Viceland, the TV channel from Vice. It's called Jesus and Marrow, and it's weeknights at 11 p.m. This isn't the place where A-list celebrities are selling their new movie. There's no scripted jokes or a band. It's just two guys from the Bronx giving you their takes on culture, politics, sports, entertainment, and other subjects they don't really know anything about. Watch Jesus and Marrow on TV on Viceland every Monday through Thursday night at 11 p.m. Go to Viceland.com to find your channel and check out some free episodes. The brand is strong. Taco Trey Kirby from the Starters on NBA TV. What's up, Trey? Hey, I'm Chris. Good to talk to you, man. I understand that this morning you had to do the uh, the duty of a good parent, which is parent-teacher conferences. Yeah, I did. I had an early parent-teacher conferences, like 10 o'clock this morning, and my daughter's only two years old. She's in school. We went to set goals, and I mean, I'm still pretty new to being a parent, so... <laughs> I don't quite know to plan things completely around the NBA schedule. I got to be up for a 10 o'clock meeting on my daughter's future. Need to look at the schedule the night before. Warriors Clippers at a 10.30 start. That game didn't get over until like 1.15 a.m. East Coast time. I was dying this morning trying to make a, you know lifelong decisions for my tiny, tiny baby. So what exactly are the goals you set for a two-year-old? Well, you know, instead of her saying, I run really fast, we wanted to say I ran really fast. Crazy stuff. <laughs> I had to go to these for my kids. And every time I every time I left, um, I recall like I mean, these this is preposterous and it scares the hell out of every parent out there when you have to go to these things. Because what happens is every, inevitably every time I would get in the car and I would turn to my wife and they would be like you know, William has a difficult time, uh, you know, paying attention during class. And I'm like, he's, he's two. He's two. Yeah. You know, they want to diagnose everybody with some kind of like attention deficit or something. I'm like, he's like, what? Is, they're like, William has a, a difficult time following directions. I'm like, you don't say. Like, he doesn't, he's yeah, drooling. We're, we're in school and they're talking to us about uh, working on her past tense and using the right past tense uh, verbs. I'm thinking she literally just learned how to talk a few months ago. She just learned what words are a year ago. I'll, I'll be happy if she picks up all of the, the verb tenses in the next couple of years. I'll be fine. Yeah, I think all of my kids' uh, teachers probably hated me because I would like, you know, that's what they would say to me. They would be like, he's he's having problems paying attention. I'm like, he's drooling. He's drooling. Like, okay. <laughs> he's drooling. I think your expectations are a little high, lady. <laughs> All right, so last night we did have to stay up for the Warriors and the Clippers, and this was, I mean, what a beatdown this was, huh? Yeah, that was crazy. It was crazy to see the Warriors get out to such a big lead, and it felt like only half their guys were even playing well last night. And then you see the final stats, like this is the first game that Durant had more shots than points a season low in field goal percentage. They made seven threes. That's the second fewest they've made in any game. The Warriors didn't even play that well, and it still wasn't really even close, though. You know, credit to the Clippers for making a couple of runs that forced us to actually have to stay up. It seemed like any time I was thinking about calling it, like, this is is it. I'm going to bed. 
Clippers would make a little bit of a run, but uh, the Warriors, man, it just looks impossible to figure out a way to stop them from getting into transition. And then even when they're in the half court, they're finding everybody. And even if they're not playing well, they'll still be able to put up 115 points against the team that is the best defense in the league so far. That was insane. Yeah, to your point, Curry was 0 of 8 from 3. Durant's 5 of 17 and 1 of 5 from 3. And they only had one bench guy in double digits, which was Iguodala. He had 10 points. So, like, all right, so what happens when they all play well? Yeah, you wonder how many points they could actually score if they were playing, you know, one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Could they get to 170 in regulation? It seems like it's possible. It seems like a crazy number, but if they shoot 55% last night, they're over 130, no problem. And then if, you know, Steph and Clay and Durant get going with a huge game from Draymond, the possibilities seem endless. I would like to see them set some sort of record this year for points in a game. It'd be awesome. Okay, do you think that, because inevitably what happens in a game like that, everybody's going to come out today, and I'm guilty of it too with the with the, with the the takes last night as you're watching it, which is, okay, Clippers are not going to be able to beat this team. They got to change something up. Is that an overreaction uh, to last night? Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily an overreaction to last night, but the, the Warriors have now won seven straight against the Clippers. They did it back before they were a 73-win team. They did it with a 73-win team, and they've done it with Durant. The Warriors are just better than the Clippers. You see the things that the Clippers do that could put some fear into the Warriors. Like DeAndre Jordan had three tip dunks in the first half last night, and he, if they're ever going to beat the Warriors, it's going to have to be him having, you know, basically a 20-20, and 20, and I think that Blake is, it just has to be better. They, the Warriors, the way they switch things and the length they have now with Durant, and Draymond, there's kind of a small margin of error for the Clippers on some of the plays they make. It's sort of like uh, your boys down in Memphis. They have real intricate passing windows. They got to fit things through. And Blake and DeAndre and Chris Paul are all pretty good at that. But when you have the athleticism of the Warriors coupled with the length, coupled with the way they switch things, it gets really hard for the Clippers. And I think that uh, they need to find a way to get Blake going. And they got to really, really kill the Warriors on the offensive glass. It feels to me like they don't have enough like tough guys, right? Like guys that like you really want to go to war with. To me, just because I mean, I've covered so many of their playoff series and the team that really stood out to me was this one years ago that had Kenyon Martin and Reggie Evans and Eric Bledsoe and I mean at that time Vinny Del Negro was the coach, but it was like somebody that would really get physical with you and then a bunch of these guys that like the only thing that matters to them is winning and that they're like just going to fight you tooth and nail for everything. I just don't, I don't know, man. Like even when they were, when they start, you see a lot of like head sulking and I don't, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not terribly sure about that mix they've got there with the Clippers and that the fact that they don't have a bunch of, like they don't have those guys to go to that are just, this isn't going to happen to us, right? Or that we're not just going to, you're not going to be showboating around and just throwing it all around the park. Like we're at least going to put our hands on you or something. Instead, they just end up bitching to the refs. And in fact, I don't know, did you see Mo Spates' quotes from last night? Um, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting that Mo Spates would come that out and, you know, blast the team he has played with for 20 games. I mean, everybody knows the Clippers have a reputation for whining, but so does basically every team in the league. I'm a Bulls fan, and Taj Gibson hasn't committed a foul in his entire NBA career. But <laughs> even for players, the Clippers really stick out. I mean, the Warriors are getting on the refs for their calls, too. But it just seems like the Clippers, time and time again, get sidetracked by the stuff that really doesn't matter. I saw 
somebody tweeted after that that weird Clippers Nets game where they blew an 18 point lead, ended up losing in double OT, and Doc freaked out. It was kind of like this is what happens with the Clippers. The the less important things on a basketball court seem to be the most important things to them sometime. And like you're saying, they don't have necessarily a guy who's going to get them back on track. That's why they brought in Paul Pierce, I'm sure. But with the way he has been in and out of the lineup, the way he struggled this season and last season, he's not necessarily the guy who's able to have sway in that locker room right now. And yeah, maybe they do need to bring in somebody else who's going to give them a little stability and a little toughness. But with the way their contracts are, it's really hard to find somebody who they can actually go out and get while still being able to be one of the top teams in the league. The other thing that's so interesting about the Spades comments last night is because anybody that's ever seen the Clippers in person, they get that from Doc. Like, he enables that, right? Like, I mean, they, Oh, yeah, he's, it's on, not- he's on the refs big time, too. And obviously, Chris Paul is on the refs big time, too. And if your head coach and your best player, your leader as a point guard, are both going to be on on the refs as hard as they are, it's just going to filter down to the whole team. And, you know, that attitude really just permeates their team. And it can definitely sidetrack them from time to time and really just throw off what they're trying to do because the Clippers are a team that really gets in their flow. When they're playing well, you know, it seems like they know where the ball is going before it's even out of their hands. The shots are exactly where they've been for the past four seasons under Doc. But once they start worrying about everything else, that kind of all just gets thrown out the window and they end up playing one-on-one ball and, you know, just getting obsessed with any call that could go the wrong way. They're falling down, playing defense, hoping for calls. And at that point, it's kind of like you've lost the mental game and you can't do that if you're trying to be an elite title contender. Do you think they'd pull the trigger and and switch their core midseason? Or do you think they're just going to ride this out and, and go with it one more time? It's hard to find a trade that really that really makes sense. I mean, to me, Chris Paul is the guy that you would trade just because he's a little bit older, but that seems like the guy that everybody is suggesting they keep because Blake's going to be a free agent soon. I personally think that they're going to probably write out this score because I think you have heard enough about the Clippers possibly being this year's 2011 Mavs, right? The team that has been together for a long time. Things never went right for them, but there's one magical year where everything falls their way. Maybe that hasn't been the case with the Clippers so far, though they started great. I think it's more beneficial to keep them together. And like Zach Lowe is always saying, if you've got a 5% chance to win the title, that's a pretty good chance, all things considered. You never know what's going to happen. I think it's smarter to, to keep them together because, I don't know, this is the first extended run of Clippers success basically ever. I don't see a point in really blowing it up. Yeah, and well, Andy, it is true. You just, you never know. I mean, we would have never suspected a couple of years ago that LeBron's in a finals without Kyrie Irving and without Kevin Love, and you're always, you know, you're always one injury away, possibly. I mean, hell, it even happened to the Clippers last year where they end up losing all their guys in the playoffs, and so it gave them no chance to succeed. Right, and even in that first round, Steph was going through his injury problems And before Blake and CP3 went down, people were thinking, wow, maybe this is finally the break the Clippers needed, that that Steph goes down, they're going to meet up in the second round. Maybe we'll actually see the Clippers in the conference finals. It obviously didn't play out that way, but for, you know, 24 or 36 hours, it really seemed like that was a possible scenario. And if that sort of thing happens again, you know, there's just no way to know. And I think that the Clippers would rather be there. Doc Rivers would rather be there and have the opportunity to step into that power vacuum 
rather than, you know, trade away their guys in February and then somebody goes down with an injury in April and you're like, well, never mind. I guess we maybe shouldn't have pulled the trigger too early. Yeah, the question is, right, can you pull a trade that would make you better suited to match up with them? And I, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's any sort of trade that's going to make them better suited to beating the Warriors because you think of the way that Cleveland was ever that was able to, to beat the Warriors. They had a point guard who could create his own shots, which the Clippers do, and they have size to be able to beat up the glass, which the Clippers also have that, and they have a secondary playmaker in Blake Griffin, he just needs to be better. If the Clippers are ever going to beat the Warriors, he can't get outplayed by Draymond Green, and that definitely happened last night. It's happened multiple times in their rivalry. They just need him to be better because he's going to have smaller guys on him on the switch. He just needs to be able to attack rather from the post rather than from you know catching it at the elbow and settling for a 20-footer, that sort of thing. I agree with you. He needs to be the guy with 14, 15 rebounds, right? And and then, like you saw, even with Oklahoma City, when they gave him so many problems last year, it was like there were moments throughout those games where it was like Golden State couldn't get the ball, right? They were going small, and like they had Adams and Ibaka, you know, in there, and they were just, uh, you know, they're just beating them up. If it was like when when Golden State missed shots, Oklahoma City was getting it. When Oklahoma City missed shots, they were getting it. Yeah, the size and the athleticism, a combo of that is what you need in your front court to be able to hang with the Warriors and have any chance of beating them. And you would think with DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, that's kind of the perfect mix. I don't know how you can get them to focus on crashing the offensive glass because it's really hard to do and kind of scary to do against the Warriors because the second they grab the rebound, it's three points on your head the other way. But it seems like the Clippers would have the right mix for being able to hang with the Warriors. It just... Hasn't totally played out that way. All right, so the Cavs uh, humiliated the Knicks. So the Clippers weren't the only team to get humiliated on their home floor on national television last night. Prior to, the Knicks got humiliated. They, they got beat by 32. Um, you know, it, it, when 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 this morning the most popular videos going around are a LeBron dunk through the lane where everybody gets out of the way, and then Kyrie Irving and LeBron James playing the water bottle challenge. I think we I think we know how that game with the Knicks went last night. Oh, man. Tweets flying around last night saying that the water bottle challenge was the most disrespectful thing anybody's ever seen on a Madison Square Garden floor. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I was actually shocked that neither Kyrie nor LeBron was able to stick their water bottle on the first shot. I thought those guys would be pros at this sort of thing. Right. Well, in terms of, I think people were starting to think, you know, getting a little bit of a, hey, the Knicks aren't aren't terrible this year. Um, what, how, how much should we react to what happened last night? Is that simply, okay, the Cavs are way better than everybody, so let's not draw too much out of it? Or was that a cause for pause regarding the Knicks? Well, I don't know. I think it's not necessarily a cause for pause because coming into the year, coming into the game, yeah, the Knicks had been playing well, but nobody really sees them as a threat to the Cavaliers. I don't think they are 30 points worse than the Cavs, but the Cleveland also had something to prove last night following uh, the first traveling to Madison Square Garden after Phil Jackson's posse comments. Kyrie has always played well in the Garden. LeBron likes to put on a show. I think that the Cavs were a little tuned up to kind of rub it in the Knicks' face. Uh, So maybe that's how they are able to hang 126 on them. But I don't know. There's no Derrick Rose for the Knicks, so maybe that's a little little silver lining for them. But 
all things considered, I wouldn't be too upset if I'm the next, yeah, you lost by 30, but nobody really considers them a contender, I don't think. So, you know, Derrick Rose will stand there a super team in the preseason. Do you think that uh, Phil Jackson uh, regretted his comments last night? He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that really regrets much to me. <laughs> um, maybe he didn't like seeing uh, how everything played out on the court, but I have a feeling he would stand by what he said and then, you know, subtweet about it and never really address it. So given that we said uh, nobody really particularly ex- expects the Knicks to be the ones that could uh, to take the Cavs to the brink or anything, what about the East and, and anybody else in there? Is there anybody else that you, you look at and go, you know what, they could give the Cavs a hard time? Or is there? do you think, given what we saw last night, all right, let me phrase this better. Given what we saw last night, do you think there is a bigger separation between the Cavs and anybody they'll have to face in the East or the Warriors and anybody they'd have to face in the West? I still think it's the Cavs. I think the chasm between them and whoever the number two team in the Eastern conferences, maybe the Raptors is just so huge. You look at the way the playoffs played out in the East last year, the Cavs won 10 straight before they finally lost the game in the East. And at that point it was against the Raptors. And I feel like they, the Cavs were basically just bored. They're like, okay, well, we don't necessarily have to play completely as hard as we want to going into these games. They dropped a couple of them, but then finished things off in six games. I think that's still going to be the case this year. There's nobody in the Eastern Conference that can really even step to LeBron. You know, in the West, at least you have Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, and Kawhi Leonard are guys who can give him problems. But you look at the contenders in the Eastern Conference, it's the Raptors, it's the Celtics. Maybe you want to consider the Hornets in there since they're playing so well, but none of those teams really have a three-slash-four man who has the athleticism or the strength to deal with LeBron. Nobody does. But, you know, some teams at least have a guy who's going to make it hard on them. And I think that when it all comes down to it, when LeBron steps on the court, he's the baddest man in the league. And there's nobody in the Eastern Conference who's really going to be able to mount a challenge to them, I don't think. I really wonder, too, regarding, the, you know, the the break between the Cavs and the East. But then the, on the Warriors, we saw them just beat the brakes off the Clippers last night. What like It might be, or some have uh, presupposed, that Utah could pose a big-time challenge. I hope the Warriors play their guys against Utah tonight because I would like to see that. I don't know if that's so, but there has been at least some people pontificate that Utah is the type of team that could drag, you know, slow the game down and that they've got this kind of mix that might be a real problem for the Warriors. What do you think? Well, they've got the size and the athleticism and the versatility, too, with Whenever Derek Favors is healthy, along with Rudy Gobert, that's a tough front line, and that's a, another front line that's able to play defense and rebound, which are huge, huge things for the Warriors. But the Jazz also haven't been to the playoffs since 2012. I have a, don't have a ton of confidence in saying a first-time playoff team is really going to give any sort of problem to a team that won 73 games, went to the finals back-to-back years, and then added another MVP I think it makes sense that maybe down the road the Jazz are a team that could could hang with the Warriors and give them some problems. But right now, I think it's a little premature. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think everybody's just reaching for anything, you know, because it was like... Oh, yeah, maybe, exactly. Right, maybe, you see a game like last night, and it kind of lends credence to people in the preseason saying, well, the Warriors have ruined the league. They're so much better than anybody else. But then they come out, you know, they struggled against the Spurs. They looked terrible that first game. Strung together an incredible winning streak. 
and now it looks like maybe they have ruined the league and they're so much better than anybody else. But they're also playing incredibly well right now. They'll hit a tougher patch from time to time, and you know maybe they won't win 14 straight. Maybe they'll just win six straight, lose one, and then win another six straight. But people are definitely searching for anybody who's going to take on the Warriors. But it, the team that's going to give them the most problems is the Cavs because they play the perfect way to beat the Warriors, and they're the only team that can really beat the Warriors. Not a believer in what uh, Harden and Houston did against them? Well, I love James Harden. I love the Houston Rockets, and I love any team that says, defense is boring. We're not even going to worry about defense. <laughs> Offense is the only thing that matters. And that's true at least in the regular season, but once you get into the playoffs, it seems impossible that the Warriors are going to be outscored four times in seven series or seven games, even against a team like the Rockets, who are incredible. Do you really think that the Rockets are going to be able to outscore the Warriors that often when we're looking at maybe the best offensive team we've seen? It doesn't seem like it could hold up, but James Harden, when he's rolling, he is one of the best players in the league, maybe the most creative offensive player in the league. That being said, I think they are probably another player away from really being able to take on Golden State. It is bananas. On the on the Tuesday pod, I, you, Kevin O'Connor and I were debating like quarter season MVPs, and the three names that we talked about the most were Westbrook, Harden, and Durant. And I was driving home after we had gotten done recording that, and I was like, I can't even believe this. But and and it's it's weird to like go back in time. I never even mentioned that. It just so happened the three guys that we just spent twenty minutes debating on whether they should be the MVP. They were all on the same damn team at the same time. <laughs> it really is unbelievable to think that, you know, four calendar years ago, we were seeing the maybe the three leading MVP candidates this year playing together, you know, huddle up on the sideline watching LeBron win a title. And now they are have ascended and it, it just really, <laughs> it well, like really I the... think we're never going to stop talking about that James Harden trade. It's never going to die. It's the craziest thing. I mean, like, even, like, I saw on Twitter this morning, somebody, like, put out the sports book odds, and those were the three leaders, right, in terms of odds. If you want to go bet on in Vegas, who's going to win the NBA MVP? And, like, they were all on the same damn team. And, and now we fast forward a couple years, and I guess, like, at, at least at this very moment, they're the three prohibitive favorites to win that award. That's just that's crazy. Crazy. That's crazy, and it kind of kind of gives proof to the theory that maybe those three wouldn't have been able to survive together on the same team once they all kind of reached the height of their powers. They can't all have the ball 100% of the time. That being said, you see the way that Durant is playing now that he basically only catches the ball to score and then can score immediately, and the way Westbrook can create with everybody and the way Harden – He's playing on the ball now, but he was an incredible off-ball player when he was in Oklahoma City, and he has been great off the ball when he has been in Houston. So maybe they would have been able to make it work, but uh, it seems uh, seems tough to, to have three MVP candidates on the same team. That being said, talented players make it happen. Yep. All right, I'm going to get back to the Eastern Conference, but a quick word from our sponsors. Youth sports matter. Student athletes are four times more likely to attend college and 11% more likely to graduate compared to non-athletes. Physically active kids also have up to 40% higher test scores and are 50% less absent. Despite this, $3.5 billion have been cut from school sports budgets in recent years. This especially affects low-income families, which are four times more likely to decrease participation in sports due to cost. 
cost. Programs across the country are losing funding at an unbelievable rate and need your help. Join us in the quest to get green laces on sneakers across the country and help save youth sports. Purchase a pair of Sports Matter green shoelaces at Dick's Sporting Goods and $2 of your purchase will help underfunded youth sports. Go to sportsmatter.org to learn more. Swap out your laces and help save youth sports. We're also brought to you by TuneIn, where the Ringer Podcast Network is now available. And while you can listen to every episode on the TuneIn app for free, TuneIn is giving listeners 20% off its premium subscription for a limited time. You can catch the home calls of your favorite sports team at home or on the road. That's every play, every team, every game. You love sports, you'll love TuneIn Premium. Plus, with TuneIn Premium, not only will you get to hear your favorite sports teams live, you'll also get great commercial-free music from around the world and unlimited access to every audio book in the library, live or on demand. Go to TuneIn.com forward slash The Ringer to get a TuneIn premium for 20% off. Download the TuneIn app and subscribe today. Uh, all right, let me flip back to the Eastern Conference, Trey. Uh, these teams are all within a either 500 or a uh, within a game of 500, okay? Which of these teams do you believe in the most? The Bulls are 11-10. and 10, The Pacers are 11-11. and 11, Detroit is... Is twelve and twelve. Atlanta eleven and twelve. So Bulls, Pacers, Pistons, Atlanta. Who do I believe in most? I don't know. It's that's a that's a tough question. Those four teams to me are all going to be battling for the bottom four seeds in the East. Maybe one of them will creep up into the top four. I'm a Bulls fan. I'm a little biased towards the Bulls, but I think you look at how they've been able to kind of gel right away. And even though the shooting has panned out the way people thought, and they have shot the three less and less often and made less shots since the beginning of the season when Dwayne Wade was on fire. I think the fact that Wade and Butler both get to the line so much, that can really make up the, uh, the extra points from three-pointers. You know, those are two guys who are great at getting inside, great at drawing fouls, and those really goose your efficiency. I have a little faith in the Bulls. They, to me, have two great players. And when you have two great players in the Eastern Conference, that's kind of a good start because you look at the other teams you're talking about, the Pacers, the Pistons, and the Hawks. They have one great player, maybe, and another good player and another good player. But the Bulls, to me, have two great players in Wade and Butler. I think that uh, having Wade around has been great for Butler's development. And I think it's been nice for Wade, too, to see Butler take this leap, meaning Wade can kind of hang back, and, you know, when they really need him to make plays, he can be there and be fresh. Very shocking that there was already a problem with Rondo. Yeah, can you believe it? It seems <laughs> unbelievable that uh, he would have some sort of problems with any authority figures. Yeah, and so you don't worry about that at all? Well, I guess that, that kind of, that's a benefit to me, because I can see a scenario playing out where Rondo continues to have his problems with the Bulls. I don't necessarily think it's going to infect the locker room because they've got leaders like Wade and Taj Gibson, who has been around in Chicago forever, Jimmy Butler. They've all been pretty clear about saying it's his team, not to mention the Bulls have been better when Rondo is off the floor. So if somehow Rondo ends his way off the Bulls or, you know, plays himself out of Chicago, and we end up with Jaron Grant as the point guard, Maybe that works out okay for the Bulls. One less guy who needs the ball in his hands, but who's going to go out there and play defense and maybe hit an open shot here and there. As a Bulls fan, how do you feel when you see Rose and Noah on the floor for the Knicks? That first game when they came to the United Center and 
and played well in the United Center. It was very cool to see for them, but it's just still strange. I do like it, though, that I don't have to necessarily defend either of those guys after doing so for years and years and seeing the same exact sort of scenario play out. I'm glad to, to see them go somewhere else, succeed, at least in Rose's case, and you know me not have to be living and dying with them every single night. So you're not a guy. You would not boo them. Oh, I wouldn't boo him. I I was not surprised that Noah got uh, crazy rounds of applause and no boos because he was a kind of a super Chicago guy, right? Like a hard worker making his case on the defensive end and just making the most out of himself. I thought it was pretty whack that people booed Rose. The guy is from Chicago. Put He's been the best Chicago basketball player for the past, I don't know, two decades probably. He won an MVP. The team is the best they've been since the dynasty. And, yeah, things didn't play out well at the end. The injuries were just crushing for seasons upon seasons, but you can't boo a guy because he got hurt and then got worse. That to right, me so just doesn't add up. As someone who watched so many Bulls games and kept uh, kept such close tabs on on what they were doing through those years and including that Rose MVP year, what do you make of the struggles Tibbs has had in Minnesota thus far this year? Because through 21 games, they're 6-15. and 15. I think the shocker is that they aren't good on defense and that they've actually been, you know, average on offense at least. I think it must be killing Tibbs uh, to have defensive talent around him. Rubio is a good defensive point guard. Wiggins has the tools to be a good defender. Town, people think he's going to win defensive player of the year sometime in his career. To have it not really add up and to have him not mesh must be incredibly frustrating. I don't think it's totally totally unpredictable that it happened though people were talking about them as a playoff team maybe even challenging for 50 wins but that's a huge jump to make for a young team that has had no track record of success to even make the playoffs they would have had to win another 15 games i think as long as you can see some sort of progress before the all-star break that this can still be a decent season for the timberwolves if they wait until after the all-star break when a bunch of teams have given up and when they are kind of catching uh, opponents off guard and that's when they finally start playing well. I won't be super impressed, but if they're able to do it while the season still matters for basically everybody, they can turn it around and at least not even make the playoffs, but the season won't be a total disaster, which I think at this point would be a victory for them. I do wonder if it is a if it is a lesson on the limitations of you know, coaching and scheme that when we look back, it's like Tibbs had these top five defenses in the league. But I think it's fair to say, at least in terms of post defenders, he had the best one in the world in Garnett in his prime. And then or, or at least close to prime but with those years in Boston. He was so awesome. And then Noah was as good a post defender as there was in the world um, at the time. And so, and they had both those teams had guys that were willing and able, really good defenders. And so, I do wonder if this is, I don't know, somewhat a, a lesson in that you know you can you can you can have the best defensive scheme in the world, but in the end, it's still you know that old saying like you know the Jimmys and the Joes. <laughs> That's exactly right. But the other thing is is that they may maybe they know the scheme, but they've only really been playing in it for twenty one games. It's going That's to take fair. some time for them to kind of to kind of really mesh and know where everybody's supposed to be at, and that's where having a guy like Garnett or Noah is such an advantage for Tibbs' scheme. Somebody's got to be calling out the defenses. Somebody has to know all the rotations, where everybody's supposed to be. And if you're counting on that being Carl Towns, if you're counting on that being Wiggins, those guys are in their second and third years. They're not going to be out there 
generaling a defense at 21 years old. That's an almost impossible task to ask for one of those guys to be on the level of KG or Noah right out of the box. You know, if this, if this is still the problem two years from now with Thibs' coach, then I think it's a huge problem. But for now, they're still learning. They still have to figure out how to play successful NBA defense. And honestly, I think they will figure it out. They've got the right sort of make up those guys, I think, to, to learn and to, to vote themselves to being great on the defensive end. It's just going to take some time. All right, so of the teams that are outside of the playoff race in the Western Conference, if you had to, if I told you, uh, Trey, one of these teams is going to have a winning record, or be 500 or have a winning record after the season, um, and we just accept that to be true, even though it may not be, but if well, it's just for, for a hypothetical. Uh, the Lakers are ten and fourteen. Sacramento's eight and thirteen. Denver's eight and fourteen. Uh, the Pelicans seven and fifteen. Timberwolves six and fifteen. Um, we'll leave out the Suns and the and the Mavs because neither of them have any chance. Um, but if any of those teams—Lakers, Kings, Nuggets, Pelicans, Wolves—if they made a run at five hundred or unbelievably, uh, oh, I don't know if it's unbelievably, but had a winning season, which of those would you put some stock in? I guess it would have to be the Pelicans. Uh, you know, they w- had a four-game winning streak when uh, Drew Holiday com- came back. They have Anthony Davis. They're going to get Tyreek Evans back soon. There is some talent there, though. We have said that about the Pelicans for the past few seasons when they had, you know, guys like Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon around those three, and it never played out as people were hoping. But, you know, the Anthony Davis talent there is just so great that I think that as hit- – he is the best player among the non-playoff teams in the Western Conference. I would have to choose them, though, like you're saying. I can't really see any of these teams, 9 through 15, really getting back to 500. Maybe the Lakers are find a way to pull it off, too. Luke Walton has worked some magic early in the season. He worked magic with the Warriors at the beginning of last season. The guy's a good coach. Uh, so maybe he can keep this going with Nick Young and Lou Williams, and you know they somehow win four more games then they lose for the rest of the season. That could happen, but I think the Pelicans would have to be my choice. If the Pelicans went eight and two over a ten game span, that would not be the most shocking thing ever, and that would get them, you know, within striking range for sure. Yeah, and it's yeah. not hard to see a week where Anthony Davis averages forty and fifteen. I, it sounds crazy, but he's a guy that can put up those kind of numbers, basically once a week. So uh, the the idea of him doing it for two straight weeks. Might be a, a bit of a tough ask, but I guess he could do it. And if that's the case, if he is able to play all NBA MVP level basketball, you can win a bunch of games like that. Trey, after this incredible amount of success that the starters have had, I want to I, I, I I hear about this. Okay, so, so you guys have been at NBA TV now for what, two, three years? This right. is our fourth season with NBA TV. This is your fourth? Mm-hmm. Wow. We started here 2013-14 season. This is now our fourth season, like I said, and we're on our third set still. This is our sec- This is the first time we've been in the same uh, studio setup for two years. So we feel like we got that continuity building, and yeah, this is, uh, this is our year. Oh, this is your year. What is your typical day? That's what I want to know. Uh, my daughter comes and wakes me up at 5.30, and then I take her to go watch highlights from the night before her favorite players right now, Steph Curry, because it looks like he's got a nook hanging out of his mouth, and James Harden because he's got a beard like daddy's. <laughs> then a few hours later, I finally get a chance to go into the office, and we're in there planning the show for the night, you know, talking about 
what the big topics were from the night before, what we're going to address, and sort of what shell we're going to put around it. Like you did your quarterly awards on Tuesday. You know, we kind of decide, okay, what, uh, what are we talking about? So which of our various games does it fit in? And then we kind of tailor things to that. Then that takes for a couple hours. Then the four of us really break off to kind of do our research and get prepared for the show while our producer and director kind of go and oversee the way highlights are being cut and, you know, the different B-rolls we're going to be using. And then come about 6 o'clock, we go get prettied up, get our makeup on, looking spotless for TV. And then uh, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern NBA TV, we're hitting it. And then are you gone? Yeah, then we get home, you know, we do a half-hour show, we get home, games are starting, and it's back to basketball. When you say you get up in the morning, you're watching highlights with the two-year-old, are they sending you the highlights? Where are you, how are you watching those? Oh, I'm a league pass man. Uh, I, I'll crush every condensed game in the morning from the games I don't watch, you know, dip in and watch those 10 to 15-minute sort of recaps. And then, you know, kind of if there's something I saw last night that I would like to watch again, I'll, kind of, I'll go in and maybe watch a second half for a second time, that kind of thing. But otherwise, we're just living that League Pass life. You're just pulling up League Pass and you're watching the condensed games. Yeah, I mean, the condensed games, I think, is a great way to catch up. You know, it's impossible to watch. Yeah. Like last night, there were 10 games. I was able to watch two of them the full way through, but... There's still another 70 or 80 percent, I guess, of the of the basketball that happened last night. You're not going to be able to catch up in in enough time to get ready for the show if you're not doing those condenses. How have you guys all remained friends through all of this? <laughs> Good question. Uh, we I don't know. I work with some really nice guys, to be honest with you. They're all really, really good guys. And we've been doing it together now for this is going to be 11 years for Skeets, Tass, and JD. I've been around since 2010. We've really just grown together. You know, when we moved here, there were 16 of us who moved from Toronto. So it was basically those were our group of friends because we didn't really know anybody else. And since then, I've had two kids. Lee's had a kid. We're just keeping on growing. And it's kind of like, you know, people compare it to being brothers. You don't always get along with your brothers all the time, but you still love them and still hopefully get along with them most of the time. Have you ever gotten in a big fight with any of the other guys? Uh, I wouldn't say a big fight. The things we mostly disagree about are, you know, how we're going to sort of tackle things on the show. None of us are majorly aggressive fighters (laughs) anyway. So, uh, you know, we'll talk trash, that kind of stuff. But all things considered, it's a jolly group of guys and we just get along. All right. Rank the starters by basketball ability. (sighs) Man. Is it is it uh, bragging to put myself first? No, it's not bragging. If that's the well, true then answer. I'll put myself first, even though I'll tell you, I've definitely fallen off. I'm having major confidence issues. I've lost the outside jump shot. Oh, no. Then, uh, I don't know. Skeets is really good. He's in incredible shape. The guy's running a marathon this year. He's a great point guard. Lee's one of the best shooters I know. And I think if I were picking a guy that you would want to watch, Chris, it would have to be Tass. He's a Tony Allen out there. He'll guard anybody. He's making the right passes. He's running the court. He's ripping guys at half court. We're a, we're a lethal foursome together. Give us just any fifth guy, and I, I have confidence against any other podcast out there. So, Ted, I don't think any other podcast has that many guys. 
Yeah, that's part of it. We've got depth that most podcasts don't. They're usually only going too deep. We've got four guys who are playing plus another two who are off the bench. Right. Like, I don't think I, I think the, the maximum amount is like two on a podcast, right? Usually. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, that's our hidden advantage. We always ask people if they want to play two on two, then we show up with extra subs. Yeah, well, and that's the, that's the issue too, right? With uh, the reason it's usually, uh, you know, just one or two guys on a podcast because everybody ends up having egos and breaking up. That's why I was asking you about why it works with you guys so well because everybody does kind of like, you know, it's all, it is a team. It's kind of for the greater good. And you guys have had a tremendous amount of success doing it that way. Yeah. And I think we all kind of realize that at this point, we're doing seven shows a week between our TV shows, our podcast, and our Twitter show, you know, maybe to put it in basketball terms, maybe you don't get a ton of touches one game, but you're going to get it the next game. There's always another show and there's always another thing to talk about. And there's always going to be a chance for you to get in where you fit in. And it's just a matter of us being cognizant of each other's needs and each other's feelings. And really, you know, just trying to help each other out. We're all devoted to making the best show. And I think if we're all pointed at the same goal, you know, you can deal with the little, oh, no, we should we should call it this versus we should call it that. Those little workplace beefs aren't a big deal if you're all trying to win out there. All right, so I tune it in tonight. What is the thing that uh, Taco Trey is going to bring to the table uh, for certain? Like the thing that you're going to say, I really want to talk about this. Well, I'm definitely wanting to talk about that water bottle challenge. That's a, that's just still unbelievable. But to actually see that happening on a basketball court, I thought the the shot of LeBron like watching his cup or uh, his bottle fly up in the air with like those sneaky eyes, the way he's watching, I just think it's hilarious. I think uh, maybe we'll try and replicate it. We've never really gotten into the water bottle challenge. Uh, usually, we're quick to hop on those sort of memes, but maybe today's the day. This is crazy. I swear. My six year old was doing it in the middle of the uh he was doing it in the middle of the uh, in the floor last night. And I I didn't even know it was a thing. And then I was watching the game and I'm like, wait, that's a thing. Like he I he and I and I said to my wife, I said, Where did he see that? And she's like, On YouTube or something. And I'm like, Oh, for goodness sakes, a kid's more in touch than I am. Um, but I actually did it. It took me eleven times. Eleven times? Yeah, Maybe it's it, not as easy as I'm thinking. Is I'm it thinking, terrible? I, I don't know why. Because I the first one I ever saw was like at a talent show, like a high school talent show. This is on Deadspin. A kid walks out, all dramatic music playing. All you see is a water bottle sitting there on a table, and it's like, what is this guy gonna do? It gets quiet. He flips it. It lands, and the crowd goes crazy. I'm like, okay, this is awesome, and it must be easy, but. I don't know, 11 times for, oh, you for a guy 11. like I would have thought you would have been maybe three or four only. Damn it. You, so your reaction tells me like 11, that's a bad job. I don't know. Well, I, I'm also maybe just not educated enough. I haven't tossed the bottle. Uh, maybe it's going to take me 15 <laughs> times. That'll be embarrassing. Well, I don't know. Like LeBron didn't do it last night, right? It's not like he did one take. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kyrie eventually landed it. I would think that NBA players would be better at better at the water bottle challenge than we are. I don't know. I'm hoping to get somewhere between four and 15 now. I'm, and honestly, now I'm hoping to just beat 11. All right. Well, here's the deal. I, I must tell you, listen, just so all things are fair, mine was uh, Aquafina, just in case. Right? Yeah, you're rocking an Aquafina. We got mostly Deer Park around here. Uh, so I don't know which is the preferred <laughs> bottle to flip. I haven't seen anybody do a Fiji bottle, but those are pretty expensive. I guess nobody wants to ruin them. Right, or smart water, right? That's the other one. The, the, the <laughs> yeah, huge... exactly. That doesn't have the big enough base. 
You're right. They got the real long bottles, right? Yeah, but just just for just for point of view, because I'm gonna call I'm gonna call BS if you beat eleven, but it's not Aquafina. <laughs> All right, I'll make sure to get a regulation Aquafina bottle. (laughs) Trey, you're the man. Thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to do it. All right, man. Check out Trey on the starters. You can also follow him on Twitter at Trey Kirby. Big thanks to Jim Cunningham back in the studio. If you dig what you're hearing on the podcast, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you next Tuesday. 